Gentlemen, and perhaps ladies, John here for The Natural Lifestyles. Welcome to the third video that I've been putting together this week in response to key areas that you, our viewers, have shown particular interest in due to our research. Lifestyle design, relationship advice, and today, inner game, or how you manage your thoughts, your emotions, your psychology, in order to maintain, and not just maintain, not just survive, but also thrive. What I want to talk about today is resilience. In other words, how you respond to difficulties that you come across in your life. Why do some people manage to adapt to adverse conditions while others are either stopped dead in their tracks or even completely destroyed by difficulties that are placed in their path? How does one develop the ability to adjust to difficult circumstances? And to put it in simple terms, how do you keep going when the going gets tough? Not only in seduction and in approaching, which I know a lot of you come to us for guidance on, but also just in life in general. What I want to share with you today is my story. Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. I should be dead by now. I know this because a guy who went through the same life experience as me, rest in peace, is dead now, has passed away. He took his own life. Let me explain. I was born into a large family, and at the time that I was born, my parents were members of a Christian sex cult named the Children of God. This was one of a number of groups that started up in the late 60s and early 70s, which we can loosely describe as Jesus freaks. These are hippies who didn't go in for taking drugs or initially sexual excess, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of the, the sexual and countercultural revolution. Instead, these groups got together and tried to recreate the conditions of the early church, where the early Christians sold all of their possessions, had everything in common, and prepared for the apocalypse, the end of the world. I started my life in an apocalyptic Christian sex cult, and my journey from that point to the point where I am right now, 40 years of age, able to describe this to you calmly, there is something for you to learn in this. Let me give you some more details. The group had started out as a very strict and very moral along the lines of the Christian idea that we usually find in churches of people sticking to monogamous relationships. However, the founder of this organization had been sexualized very early as a child and he had a severe case of mental illness, I would say. And he projected this mental illness onto the group. As his power grew and the group grew in size to become an international organization, and throughout the 80s in particular, this group became incredibly destructive as the leader laid down new practices for the group members to follow, including forced prostitution. The women, including my own mother, were expected to go out and sleep with people who were not in the group with the hope of conscripting these people. 
This was the uh, evangelical processes of this particular Christian group, as unorthodox as they might have been. Love your neighbor, the Christian maxim that you may have heard before, in this group meant fuck your neighbor. And this included children. This is possibly one of the most destructive environments that was seen as developed through the 20th century. Why? Because it was clandestine. It was secret. The people involved in the communes that made up this international organization, the Children of God or the Family of Love, indulged in sexual excesses that the average mainstream person cannot imagine. In the group, adults could have sex with children with impunity. This was encouraged. And anybody who held back was judged by the group as not being willing to express the love of God. You can imagine the kind of hideous things that were going on, not just to me, but to my siblings around me. I first learned about sex and got my first erection from reading a comic book in which God's representative, Heaven's Girl, is gang raped. And to each one of these rapists, she responds, I love you, as God has taught her how to do. As you can imagine, this is a pretty difficult start to understanding sexuality in human relationships which became no less difficult when my parents, thankfully, were able to leave this destructive uh, sect and re-enter mainstream society, although not let go of their desire to be involved with Christianity. I went through at this stage what I call a mental backflip. Try and imagine this. You know about Christianity, okay? And you know that some Christian ideals are not to have sex before marriage and that if you do, you are in a sense tainted and there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes with a lot of Christian organizations surrounding that. I know I deal with the after effects with many of the guys that I coach and have had to process that myself. The mental backflip I went through involved knowing exactly what people were capable of, the absolute excesses of, of sexual freedom in the name of God, but then for all that to be repressed in mainstream churches where we don't talk about sex you were supposed to have sex after marriage. And the way that my parents dealt with what they put us through was simply to repress. They told us to never talk about what we had seen and experienced. This kind of repression was incredibly dangerous. This is what led to the suicide of the friend that I was talking about. This kind of repression is destructive in general. If somebody experiences trauma and they are unable to process that, and to get that trauma, which then becomes toxic, out of themselves, they are, endangering, they are in danger of experiencing what I believe is the worst pain that we experience as human beings, the emotional pain, the emotional torture, which simply does not go away. Physical pain can be eased. Emotional pain goes on and on and on if there is no way to externalize it, if there is no therapy with which to heal it. This is one reason why I believe we are facing a male suicide epidemic. Men are notorious within society for not being able to share in this way, to open up emotionally and share with each other. One among many reasons why we are facing a male suicide epidemic. Now to get back to my own personal journey, by the time I reached high school, sex was something that was associated with fear, trauma and with repression due to my experience in the two basic forms of Christianity that I had experienced as a young person. 
On top of this, my own needs as a human being were deeply buried. Why? Because as a Christian in both organizations, I was taught Jesus is first, other people are second, you are third. This kind of mentality could easily play into a more general problem with guys who have not experienced Christianity of any form, which we call the nice guy syndrome. The foundation of the nice guy syndrome is this kind of life experience where one's own needs are not important, are shown in childhood to be not important. The message that a nice guy receives as a little boy is your needs don't matter. Okay, You are not allowed to just be yourself and to have needs. And so this little boy starts to develop coping strategies and mechanisms in order to please other people. He starts learning nice guy strategies with trying to manage the situation, to make other people happy. Underneath it all the time, not believing that he is worthy, not believing that he deserves to have his needs met. This is a destructive cocktail that, like I've said already, can potentially lead to suicide. How did I manage to escape from this potentially destructive trap? Why am I sitting here today and talking to you? Well, first and foremost, the man that I want to thank is the founder of this channel, James Marshall, the founder of this organization, The Natural Lifestyles. Why? He's the first of five M's that I want to mention today. In Australia, we call them mates. He's a friend in the truest definition. And honestly, if you want to develop resilience, if you want to be able to continue even under adversity, you need friends, but not just any friends. The hallmarks of a true friend, of course, are loyalty. But I would say another very important quality is something that James brought to me when I was just about ready to explode, when my adolescence was bringing on okay, all, all of the uh, physical changes, my sexuality coming out. This is when I'm 17 years old. I'm ready to start engaging in relationships. But this is very confronting and terrifying for me because sex is associated with trauma. Okay? Because sex is something that I've never been able to really talk about before. It's repressed. I had no idea what it is that I'm about to start grappling with as I can feel my body beginning to activate. And at the same time, there's deep fear and deep shame. Why did I need a friend? I needed more than that. I needed James Marshall, someone who was the first person outside of these Christian contexts in which I'd been stuck for my early life to just sit there and do something that people so rarely do in my experience when someone is presenting them with a problem sit there and listen and hold the space and simply accept what is being shared. This is so difficult for many people who would be friends. There are a lot of typical knee-jerk reactions that happen because it's uncomfortable in that situation. Say if somebody is sharing something as difficult and painful and awkward and strange as what I'm just describing for you, people often want to make it seem less than it is. Oh, that's terrible. But at least you didn't have to go through this. 
worse, people start relating back to their own experience because they're afflicted with narcissism a lot of the time. We all are to some degree. Oh, that's terrible, but at least you didn't have to go through what I grew up, what I went through. Let me tell you, I'll, I'll make you feel a little bit better. I'll tell you about some terrible, some terrible thing that I had to experience. Or maybe a little bit more positive, they start trying to fix the problem. This is something I frequently fall victim to. Oh, wow, this is a problem. Okay, it's all right. We're going to solve it. Okay, let me get to work straight away. So often people don't want that. Your mates, your true friends will be able to say to you, that's truly awful. I can't even imagine what, what you're going through right now, but I'm here for you. I'm here to hold the space for you. Unless you can find people who you can trust enough to do that simple thing for you, and I'll be honest with you, you might have to teach them to do that, then it's going to be very difficult for you to be able to draw out of yourself the residue that's left behind from these difficult obstacles that come in your way, these traumas that you face, and to develop what I'm talking about with resilience. Now, let me tell you something. This might shock you. I'm grateful for every single thing that I went through as a child and a young person, every single part of it. As part of my experience in this Christian sex cult, I spent four years of my childhood in India. Another part of uh, the five key points that I want to make here, emphasizing ways forward in developing resilience is, is meditations. Note the S on the end. I'm not just talking about meditation, which can be so powerful, which I'll speak about in a second. But here's my journal from when I was eight years old. Once when we were in India, we lived near where wild monkeys lived. And they were savage too, and they jumped on us and they tried to bite us. So we moved to a new house. The end. A simple story that doesn't seem to say much, but I'm developing in this journal at eight years old the ability to process my experience through different forms of meditation. And of course, journal writing is one that is enormously powerful. I've said in previous videos, one thing that a journal can do for you is to put down something that you are going to move away from. Say you are experiencing trauma right now. There's something incredibly difficult that, that you simply cannot understand or even begin to imagine how you're going to deal with it. Put it down. Even in a week's time, you will look at it and it will look like less of a challenge. If you continue to struggle, your journal in one way can be a marker of things that you've overcome, things that you've lived through. This journal is one of my most precious possessions because it shows to me, yes, I was there. And yes, I was able to come back out of that hellish situation and simply start to process it. What are these other forms of meditations that I'm talking about aside from journal writing? And you can see my collection of journals over here. Well, another one would definitely be time spent in nature. And I don't think that you have to be any kind of hippie who believes in, you know, spirits of trees and things like that to know that this has a therapeutic benefit. You don't have to sit and meditate in order to be meditating. You could be writing in a journal. You could be walking in the street. You could use that as a time of reflection or you could step into nature. Now, it seems to me absolutely straightforward that a natural setting is something that is so healing to us as animals. 
because that's what we've been disconnected from living in these urban environments. I would advise that you try to fit into your week at least one opportunity where you at least go to a park where there is some green space. Allow these plants, the natural setting, animals around you to permeate your being. Breathe some fresher air. Get out of the city if you possibly can. Go for a swim. Immerse yourself into nature. That one is really, really simple. I do meditate on a daily basis. My meditation, though, is not seated meditation, which I don't want to discount at all. Seated, breath-focused meditation, scanning Vipassana meditation, which is a tool that we use at the Natural Lifestyles as part of all of our training programs, all of our coaching workshops, is an incredibly powerful tool which allows you to experience positive benefits like being more calm and more relaxed and more able to observe your surroundings, more aware. The absolutely deadly serious uh, objective of that meditation, though, is to see reality more clearly. I really think it's important to emphasize that. I don't want people to start using meditation as, as uh, this kind of breath-focused meditation as a tool in order to like get chicks. First and foremost, this is about understanding things more clearly. Everything else can come from that. So, a little side note talking about Vipassana meditation there. My daily meditation, however, is something that I developed years later from what I'm talking about when I had this conversation with James Marshall at age 17. When I was... 33 years old, January of 2014, I fell into the darkest depression that I've ever known. There's been only two times in my life where I have been in serious danger to myself. I've been in serious danger to myself. One was in 2010 when I was working as a high school teacher full-time. The job was taking over my life as I talk in another video that I made this week. And I was so completely stressed completing this career and working even in the evenings and on the weekends and also so lonely because I ended a, 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 an involved relationship and had no agency to get out of it, that I was in, in, in danger to myself. I was in so much pain, like I was talking about earlier, that was trapped inside of me. I was looking for some way to escape. I do want to say this to you now. If that's you, contact us. Don't do it. James has said this before on the channel. Wait one day at least. Okay, do that. Give yourself a day. And then when you wake up, give yourself another day. You're going to relate this to what I'm saying in a moment when I finally get to telling you about what my daily meditation is. But contact us too. We're more than just a dating coaching company. We offer this kind of guidance and counseling as well. We offer it in a practical way too because we take you out there and help you face your fears. When I hit depression again in... 2013, at the end of 2013, when my girlfriend had left me and I lost my inspiration to go out on the street and be a street performer, what I decided to do was I realized now I'm, now I'm in my 30s. I can't expect to get up in the morning like I could in my 20s and still feel okay and able to go through the day. My body was starting to exhibit the wear and tear that, that the decades had brought to it. And I realized... I felt like shit when I got up in the morning. And this is where I talk about another M, 
Morning routines. I'm a believer in morning routines. I know that James certainly isn't. I certainly am. This week, in which I've been making this content, has been a difficult week. My girlfriend walked out of this apartment that I'm sitting in right now on Monday evening because we'd had a disagreement and we were this close to ending our relationship. Something I certainly did not want to do and don't want to do. I could go into the details, but that would drag me off topic. Basically, what I was being challenged to do was to stick to my boundaries, despite the fact that it could threaten the loss of the relationship, something that I haven't been able to do before. This is getting back to nice guy stuff, where previously I would simply compromise my boundaries in order to, please, let me hold on to you. I need you. I'm not worth anything without you. Okay? She walked out and I didn't hear from her for all of Tuesday. I got up on Wednesday morning and it was time to go and film a video about relationships, talking about relationships. How do you think that felt? That was very, very difficult. How did I manage to do it? With my rock solid morning routine. What is my morning routine? It's pretty simple. I get up, I do some stretching, a collection of stretches that I have worked out over time and continue to develop and change. And then I do a warm up of swimming, dragon, qigong. Okay, qigong is similar to tai chi if you've not heard of it before. And it's a, uh, a physical system of energy cultivation. Let me put it that way. It works together with the philosophy of Chinese medicine in order to move the energy throughout the body. It's a, a system of movement that provides you with more Practical strength, balance, flexibility, mobility in your joints. And of course, a space for meditation. When I am in this system of movement, which takes me about 20 minutes to complete, as my teacher taught me when I was learning this system, although I am moving, although my, my muscles are activated, all thoughts disappear. And I'm able to tune into my energy and I'm able to begin to come back to myself and to build myself, to build a good body to take through the day. I know this is a video about inner game, but so much of what happens with your thoughts and emotions has to do with your body and what you do with it. These two things are intertwined. Really, you can't talk about what's happening inside of you, your thoughts and emotions, without talking in some way about the external reality that you experience. And it's useful to remember, I learned this as an actor, of course, that you can affect inside of yourself by going from the outside. If I hold myself in a certain posture, it can help me to get into a certain character. Then, of course, I can go from the inside out again. If I want to play a certain character, I can imagine certain memories and thoughts and ideas that a character will have had and this will build the character from the inside out. Similarly, this is the way in which you are working from the inside out and from the outside in as you develop your inner game. At the end of this set of Swimming Dragon Qigong, I recite this mantra to myself daily. This is my fourth M, mantra. In order to have resilience, you need to have purpose. Mine is this. I tell myself just for today, allow peace and harmony in body, mind and energy. 
Be filled with gratitude. Dedicate yourself to your work and yet see it as play. And be kind to all living things, including yourself. This is how I cultivate positive energy to bring into the day. This is how I rationalize my own existence. This is how I orient myself to be ready to take on the day. Now, there are actually other ways in which I do this too. There's a certain number of poems that I will recite to myself. Sometimes I'll, I will combine this morning routine with uh, some sessions in a sauna. Okay, just, just sweating out the toxins again, old guy stuff. <laughs> you gotta deal with the crap that's built up in the body over time. You young guys can get stuff out of it too. Keep yourself fresh, keep yourself clean. I'll recite poetry in that sound. I won't go into that, but it would take too much time. But these are all examples of the final end, making meaning. People come to this earth and people who cling to religious philosophies like Christianity, where I started this talk, they expect things to mean something already. They just don't. My, my profound belief about this is that nothing not even by science, certainly not by rationalization or intellectualization or, 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 or religious belief, nothing can be ultimately proven. Every conclusion that we draw in, in any field, scientific, artistic, religious, intellectual, or whatever, okay, these are all rationalizations that we have created making meaning. We don't really know. The people who formed these early religions they knew even less than we know now. And so they made some system of meaning in order to proceed. That's what you're doing when you're building resilience. You are making meaning for yourself. Life can be so destructive when there is no meaning. Studies on resilience show this. They show that often people who have spiritual or religious beliefs are more resilient, are more able to respond to trauma or disaster and bounce back again, find their way again, because they have something to rely on. Now, I don't recommend that you, that you sign up to some, some religious organization. That's not what I can recommend. Or even that you start subscribing to spiritual philosophies, although there are value in both of these things, undeniably. And I don't want you to take away from this talk that all religion and spirituality is rubbish and should be thrown into the bin. How could I possibly say that when I practice Qigong, which is to do with Taoism, which is a, well, you could say pseudo-spiritual philosophy anyway. Some would argue that it's simply intellectual, but I disagree. No, but you take from these things, things that you choose. And this gives you something absolutely essential here, something that you are driving at deeply as you walk towards resilience, your agency. If things mean nothing and you have no agency, how can you possibly continue? You need both of these things. You need to make your own meaning. You need to create your own meaning for yourself. You need to be your own guru. Don't go through this life looking for somebody to give you ready-made answers. Life is incredibly confusing and incredibly challenging. And like I said, there just is no definitive answer to the questions that we, that we are faced with. That's why you need to engage in the process of making meaning. 
I find meaning in things like the poetry that I recite, in that mantra that I use daily in order to orient myself. Can I prove that that mantra is true? Can I prove that those words are the right words that everyone should be saying? No, that doesn't matter. They're effective though. And from monitoring the effect that that mantra has on me and the poetry that I recite and my rock solid morning routine, which got me through this week and got me out of that depression that I was describing earlier in my early 30s and has gotten me through the crazy adventures that have gone after that. Times when I have been traveling around the world in uncertain situations in terms of not knowing what's happening with my relationships, difficult work situations, like what you experience as a coach with the natural lifestyles where you were working in a very chaotic situation. You guys thinking about coming and doing coaching with us, it seems like a challenge to you, right? Oh, I'm going to go in the workshop and I'm going to be approaching all these girls and that's going to be a challenge. Yeah, we coaches know it's a challenge for us too. We got to walk there beside you. The only way we can do it is because we have resilience. The only way we do it is because that's a part of the way that we make meaning out of this world. And that making meaning and that taking agency, those things go hand in hand. They are indivisible. As I make meaning, that gives me the inspiration in order to take agency and take an action forward. And the results that come from that, I weave back into the meaning that I'm continually developing. Like I was describing with my morning routine, this is something that is not static. It's something that changes. That mantra, I first learned the basic version of that mantra when I was studying Reiki, which was back in 2007, 13 years ago. The original mantra was different to that. I have adapted and developed it. I have made it my own. And that's part of my process of making meaning, what I'm talking about today. So these five ends that I mentioned, your mates, who are your mates? Who are your real mates, your real friends? How many people do you know who can hold a space for you and not start projecting their ideas or their opinions, their quick fixes or their own ego onto you? See if you can get somebody to hold space for you. See if you can guide your friends in order to become better in subtle ways or perhaps test them to see if they are really solid, to see if they can offer you guidance after holding space for you that is based on their best observations, not on their own selfish agendas or their own desire to, to, to express their own ideas, their own ego. What is your mantra? If you had to write a mantra, what would it sound like? Try brainstorming, try writing a page about the things that are most important to you. Then see if you can boil that down into a few more simple statements. When you have a collection of simple statements that is as short as or similar, similar in length to what I've given you, you have a powerful mantra for your life. Again, you don't have to take ready-made mantras, ready-made solutions to things uh, like you get from religions. You can adapt them to make them your own. These words are powerful. When I was a small child living in India, in a sex cult where I knew that the most diabolical things were happening 
to myself and my siblings. I would be gripped with the most hideous nightmares you can imagine and wake up with night terrors that people describe, where the nightmare doesn't go away, but the shadows in the room start to morph around. I was terrified. It felt like the devil himself, the most evil presence, was filling up the entire room, and sometimes I would be frozen, frozen, and I would try and stay as still as possible and not even breathe as a way of escaping. If I had enough courage, I would go to my mother's bed, and I remember one time I did, and I said to her, I'm afraid. Will you please let me sleep here with you? She said, no. She said to me, go and recite the Psalms. And so I quoted from the King James Bible at the age of five years old, lying in my bed in terror. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall live in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. What a load of crap. <laughs> but it's powerful. You see what I'm saying about making meaning here. I don't believe in those words anymore. I don't believe solely in investing in and subscribing to this Christ-like figure and waiting for his resurrection, like that psalm is a part of or, or, is, or is conscripted to be a part of. I'll tell you what I do believe in, though, the power of those words. That's why I recite poetry today. That's why I have a song that I've been using for the past year or so that I put on as I leave the house, this is my process of making meaning. This guides me. It's not set in stone. It's not ready-made. It's something I've created for myself. What are the songs that you listen to that give you inspiration if you're not into reading poetry, as I can understand? If you're not, why not give it a go? I'm on to William Blake at the moment. You haven't heard of Blake, perhaps, but you have heard of his ideas because of a band called The Doors. There's a very famous line from Blake that goes like this. If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is. Infinite. For man has closed himself off until he sees all things through narrow chinks of his chasm. Poetry, huh? It's for pussies, right? It's for girly, girly, girly girls. <laughs> no, it's not. It's words. And words are powerful, especially when you claim them for your own. Now, speaking of words, what I want to do in closing here, after I finish mentioning these five aims, make sure I haven't forgotten them. Making meaning, meditations. Of course, the final word on that is breath-focused meditation and vipassana meditation is something that I cannot recommend highly enough. Two sets of 10 days have changed my life more than anything else. A 10-day Vipassana retreat that I completed in Melbourne at the, in January of 2010 and a 10-day Euro tour in which uh, I attended in September of 2012, two years later, in which I was given by James and the rest of the coaches a practical application for that very meditation tool. In my mind, the two things go hand in hand and actually I was... Um, speaking with a potential student for our workshops about doing exactly this. 
this guy who was calling me up had figured this out from the content that he'd seen from us. And he knew that Vipassana's meditation, sweeping meditation, where you are, first of all, honing your awareness through your breath and then scanning through your body so that you can gain an objective view on the sensations that happen, your thoughts and emotions. And instead of buying into those and allowing them to throw you off, you can instead still be in the moment, be effective and take action. This guy was saying, I'm going to do a 10-day Vipassana and then I'm going to go and do the 10-day Urator. And I was like, yep, that's what I did. It's powerful stuff. The mantra I've already talked about and given you a bit of an inspiration about how you can uh, make your own mantra. But what about your morning routine as a final end there? How do you start your day? Do you simply get up after snoozing for as long as you can, uh, drag yourself through the shower, get your clothes on, get to the office and get to work? I honestly believe that if you're not preparing yourself for every day, especially you guys who are getting on in in, in years and and finding some way to prepare yourself physically, emotionally, and mentally for the day, then you're like a soldier who's going into battle in medieval times without his armor. And it's going to be a lot easier for you to be bruised and battered by those obstacles that come in your way. This is a way for you to build resilience. And like I've been describing, that's the way I've made it through this week and not being phased. Honestly, not being phased by the possibility of losing a wonderful relationship that I've been enjoying for the past five months now. Something that I have truly invested in. Something that I'm not ready to just throw away. Huh. Unless, like I'm saying, it threatens my sense of autonomy. Guys, hang on to your autonomy in relationships. You can't have a relationship without it because even if she gets what she wants, she won't respect you. You've got to set those boundaries. That's all I can say. Go and watch the relationship videos instead, the relationship video that that instead that we shot on Wednesday and and see if you can uh, see the cracks in my, in my mask on that day. I don't think you'll see them at all because these tools that I've used that I'm trying to describe for you here have built the resilience inside of me so that I can move forward. I mean, I consider myself a humble guy, but I realize more and more the kind of strength that I've developed when I look at someone like my father. My father. Yes, one of the two characters who dragged me through that hellish situation that I was describing earlier. Somebody who was involved in that kind of despicable uh, behavior that the people from that group were, were engaged in. I was the father. He would come to me for counselling and guidance because he refused to go and see mainstream uh, therapists and still refuses to this day, to his detriment. Part of doing that is part of what developed my ability to have resilience, I suppose. And what I'm trying to say with that is I was unlucky in that sense. I didn't have strong father figures. The first one I met was James Marshall. And I know that many of you guys out there look at him as a father figure. This is a positive thing. He's a reliable role model for you. But perhaps the only other thing that I can add to what I'm saying with these five M's is who are your role models? Who are you looking up to? Who inspires you? Do you have people already? And why? What qualities do you see in these people? What are their principles? That's one last thing I want to leave you to think about. For now, what I want to do 
is encourage you once again to think about these five areas that, that I've highlighted. Who are your mates? What are your forms of meditation? Are you involved in journal writing or spending time in nature or in uh, embodiment styles of meditation, moving meditation like Tai Chi and Qigong? How are you making meaning in your own life? Do you have a mantra, for example, that could sum up what we call your raison d'etre, your reason for living, your inspiration for life? And last but not least, oh yeah, what's your morning routine? Are you simply getting out of bed and like a zombie dragging yourself through life? It might sound tough when you, when you, when you, when you, be, you begin it, okay, and you're thinking, oh, Johnny, I don't want to have to go to the gym or whatever it is. The only thing I want to add to the morning routine is this. There is a difference between natural discipline and forced discipline. Forced discipline is the kind that you probably experienced in high school or from authoritarian parents who tell you, you just do it because I say so, okay? And it's something that you have to slavishly go through, okay? Discipline. You're going to force yourself to do it. Instead, I encourage you to discover what I've discovered with my morning routine where, honestly, it's like a drug for me every morning to get to that point where all thoughts disappear and where all of my joints are suddenly moving together and I can feel the energy flowing around me. That is natural discipline where you can feel, not just realize, but feel, ah, this has a positive benefit for me. This is something that I am willing to invest effort into and even suffer because, yes, there is a payoff. There is a payoff now every morning for my morning routine. Not only do I not feel like a 40-year-old man, but I'm ready to enjoy life and I have higher levels of energy, many other positive health benefits as well. Of course, also what I'm saying is, as well as making meaning, you need to take agency. You're responsible for your own destiny. It's John for The Natural Lifestyles, and I wish you well. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The Natural TV. See you on the next episode.